לקוטי שיחס חלק י"ז, חג הפסח שיחה בייז. We learn לאילו נשמס רבי יוסף בנימין בן רב מנשה קלטמן. May this chus of our learning bring true redemption. This Pesach and even before. To all Yidin, the world over, particularly to the Jews in the Ukraine. Peace in Eretz Yisrael. May we all be blessed with a chakosher v'sameach. The Rebbe begins the Secha highlighting the point that there's a difference between the obligation and the commandment to remember and recall our leaving Egypt on the night of Pesach and the ob- obligation we have all year round. One of the differences is that the obligation to remember our leaving Egypt all year is a general obligation. This obligation incorporates, as the Rambam teaches in Hilchas Kriyas Shema, in the laws of reciting the Shema prayer, mentioning the exodus from Egypt during the day and at night in the saying of the Shema prayer. But on the night of the Seder, the mitzvah is to actually tell the story of leaving Egypt. As the Rambam in his laws of Chometz and Matzah teaches, L'saper benisim, to relate the miracles. And the Rambam continues to elaborate in great detail on how this mitzvah should be fulfilled. Recalling the story of leaving Egypt is fundamental and a foundation in Torah and in one's belief in God. And many commandments, both positive and negative, have a direct association to this mitzvah. Hence, we recall leaving Egypt in blessings and prayers eternally. And so, of course, in the story of leaving Egypt on the night of Pesach, this theme and idea of our leaving Egypt as a strong foundation and a mighty pillar of Torah is the focus. The commandment to actually tell the story of leaving Egypt is taught through the verse in the portion of Bui in chapter 13, Perikud Gimel, verse 8, Pasuk Ches, where we are commanded, and you shall tell your child, which we fulfill in reciting the Haggadah at the Seder. Now, a thought is most pointedly revealed in its introduction and in its conclusion. Therefore, the essence of the story of leaving Egypt is in the beginning of the Haggadah text, as the sages set it out, as an obligation for all, starting with, as the Mishnah and Psachim states, with gnus, with our national disgrace, and concluding with praise of our nation. Starting with the words, in the beginning we were enslaved, and in the beginning our fathers were idolaters. Then the Haggadah follows with the words of Vihishi Amda, that in every generation there arises an enemy against us, bent on our destruction, which concludes the story of Egypt and introduces an essential point, the story of Lavan and Yaakov, and the description of Lavan's intentions in destroying not only the males of our people, but all of our people. As well, since the, litur- the liturgical text of the Haggadah adhered to as the custom of our people from the earliest of generations, begins with Ha'lachma'anya, this is the bread of our affliction, the paragraph that even precipitates the four questions in the story of Egypt, 
the paragraph that begins the step of Magid, this too clearly must be understood as a beginning of import that highlights the general theme of the Haggadah. When we look at the conclusion of relating the miracles and wonders that God did for us in that time, the final words of the paragraph that begins with how many levels of goodness has God bestowed upon us? A tally of God's goodness, each concluding with the words Dayenu, ends with the words The final kindness we count that God built us the Beis HaMikdash to atone for all our sins. So to clearly understand the essential theme of the Haggadah and the story of our exodus from Egypt, we need to explore in greater depth some of the details in the paragraphs that we have highlighted. Let's begin with a paragraph that starts the step of Magid, Halach Ma'anya, this is the bread of our affliction, within which, in the paragraph, we invite the hungry to join us. This paragraph is not placed here in order to actually invite all who need a Pesach Seder to come and join, as the timing is wrong. One would have had to do that before beginning the Seder, returning from Shul, even before leaving Shul. But the words called it Srich, all who need, refer to someone who doesn't have a festive meal, including the four cups of wine, the first one being Kiddush. So what does this refer to? Rather, we begin with Holach Ma'anya because this paragraph begins the story of our exodus, our Magid story. Looking at the paragraph, three things that are mentioned in the paragraph have questionable connection, though, to our leaving Egypt. The opening words of the paragraph, Holach Ma'anya, this is the bread of our affliction that our forefathers ate in Egypt, do not tell the story of our leaving Egypt. Rather, they reflect on our time of affliction in Egypt. Also, the conclusion of the paragraph, the words, Hashata Now we are here and in the year to come we will be in Israel. Hashata Avdin. Now we are slaves, l'shana habab chayrin, and in the year to come we will be free. Highlights that we are yet enslaved, certainly the opposite of the story of redemption. So how does this paragraph even fit into the story, the narrative of our exodus from Egypt? On this night, now in the present, certainly as we launch into the story of remembrance of our freedom, when we intentionally exhibit our freedom, we begin with a time, a statement of slavery, quite the opposite of an exhibit or an expression of freedom. It would seem that we could, as a remote possibility suggests, that the words, this is the bread of affliction our fathers ate in Egypt, is because our intention is to indicate that it was our fathers who were in the land of Egypt, but we are not. And as far as the concluding words, now we are here in the year to come in Israel, now we are slaves in the year to come free men, these, would, these words are in the format of the Mishnah's teaching that Matchil Bignus, we begin with our nation's disgrace, 
but we conclude with its praise. But this explanation cannot actually be offered in this case, as were this correct, then this paragraph would rightfully be placed after the four questions and not before, just like the entire Haggadah, which is said as a response to the four questions asked. As well, this idea of beginning with gnus, the disgrace of our people, to better highlight the shevach, the praise of our people, is relevant to an event that has already occurred, an event in the past, like the statement, we were slaves to Pharaoh in Egypt. In the beginning, our fathers were idolaters. And thereafter, the conclusion with praise about the now, that Hashem took us out of there and now has drawn us close to him, emphasizing and highlighting the feeling and sense of freedom. But it would not be accurate to suggest that this verse highlighting the present disgrace, even while we affirm our faith in a better future and pray for a redemption, when at the present it is only a hope and a feeling connected to a better future, but it's not said with a feeling of true current freedom on this very night. Equally, we need to understand, as mentioned, what is the connection of the words, whoever is hungry, come and eat, and all who are needy, come and partake in the Seder, to the step of Magid, the telling of the story of our exodus. Accordingly, we must say that though this paragraph isn't an actual part of the actual story of leaving Egypt, which is told in response to the four questions asked, it is relevant to what Magid is all about, the story of our exodus, because these words are the general introduction that indicate the general answer regarding the Seder of this night and the story of our exodus. We also don't understand why we say this is the bread of affliction eaten by our fathers in Egypt, emphasis in Egypt, Indeed, commentaries ask, the matzah we eat at the Seder, the matzah we eat now, is the matzah of redemption, not the matzah of our enslavement in Egypt. It is, as we say further on in the Haggadah, matzah zu sha'anu oichlim, this matzah that we eat, is in commemoration of the dough that didn't rise when we hurriedly left Egypt. So, a reason is given that in Egypt itself, the Jews ate matzah because it was a heartier food, and digestion took longer than with leavened food, so they stayed full longer. Or, as the Sephorna explains, that this was the way they ate their bread in their state of affliction, for there was no opportunity for their dough to rise. But the Maharal questions this and says, there's absolutely no source for this anywhere in the scriptures, or in the Mishnah or Talmud, that the Egyptians fed them matzah. Even more so, if this was the intention, then the source would have been mentioned by the collator of the Haggadah, who quotes his sources. Then we look at the paragraph that reads, Avadim hayinu lefari b'mitzrayim, v'yitzieinu Hashem aleikeinu, if God had not taken us out. The paragraph begins, we were slaves to Paroi in Egypt. God took us out with a strong arm and an outstretched arm. And if God had not taken us out, 
The question that arises, that we would still be there enslaved, us, our children, and our children's children. The question that arises here is well known. The Egyptian exile was decreed to last 400 years. How is it possible to suggest that if God hadn't taken us out, we'd be there still, if it could not have gone for longer than 400 years? If we were an enslaved people, excuse me, if we were an enslaved people by nature and in our essence, we would indeed have needed some particular event to remove that nature from ourselves with the conclusion of the exile. But the nature of a Jew is to be free, and only because of the covenant Hashem made with Avram did we experience exile and enslavement. And so, as soon as the exile ended, the slavery was nullified, and we were once again free people, people of freedom. It's impossible to suggest that the children of Israel needed God to remove them from enslave them, enslavement because they left Egypt not after 400 years, but after 210 years. Firstly, there's no connection here to the actual exodus, but to how these 400 years are counted. Hashem counted the 400 years from the birth of Yitzchak, of Isaac, and not from when the family of Yaakov, Jacob, went down to Egypt. And in any case, this would not change the ultimate reality that at the end of the 400 years, we would once again revert to a free people. Secondly, we say that we, our children, and our children's children would still be enslaved to Pharaoh in Egypt. And this negates the promise made to Avram, as we learn in the portion of Lech Lecha, the fourth generation, after they are exiled and redeemed, will return here to this land, to the land of Israel. So how could one say we, our children, their children would still be enslaved? Our discussion now turns to another anomaly that we mentioned. We say, in the beginning our fathers were idol worshippers, and now God has brought us close to serve him. First, we need to understand the reference in God's bringing us close is to Avraham, who would be the first in this category. So why the term, and now? Why not, and then God brought him close, or us close, through Avraham? Even were we to suggest that, and now, doesn't refer to now literally, but to the now of leaving Egypt, God's drawing us close to serve him occurred long before even before the Egyptian exile, and even earlier in Avram's relationship with God before the covenant. Then there is something else. The content of the Haggadah is about the miracles and wonders that were done for us and about our freedom. The whole trajectory of these words, in the beginning our fathers were idol worshippers, has no connection to the story of the Exodus. Only for the purpose of beginning with gnus, disgrace, do we continue with the words, then God draw, drew us close. But why is it important, why is it important to emphasize this here, that God drew us close? Real praise would be that our fathers were idolaters, but then we, or Avraham, drew close and connected to God in his divine service. What we do then understand is that for Magid, for the story of our exodus, 
it's important to state that now God drew us close and not after these events then. Not just God drew Avraham close, but he continues to draw us close in all generations, even now. The question regarding the paragraph we mentioned, where we speak of the enemies who rise against us in every generation to annihilate us, is, if those who rose against us to destroy us were more righteous than we ourselves are, it would be well understood that if despite this, God saved us from them, and it's really thus worth mentioning. But the nations were evil and wicked and lawless. So why would we even consider that God might allow our destruction at their hands, God forbid? So much so that God saving us requires words of praise. And also, what's the connection between this event in each generation to our redemption from Egypt? Why do we particularly mention this at the Seder on Pesach? Why not at other times when Hashem saved our nation, like on Purim? In fact, Pesach wasn't quite like that. Pari in Egypt sought only to kill the Jewish males, not to annihilate our, not annihilate our nation. Lovon did seek to wipe us out, and so did Haman in the time of Ahasuerus, when the decree was placed upon all Jews, male, female, of all ages. And then there is the expression of gratitude that we mentioned when we calculate God's kindnesses, and we thank God for building for us the base habchira to atone for our sins. Why, in this kindness, do we mention the reason for God's doing so, but not in the 14 Ma'ilois Teves previous kindnesses that were performed and are mentioned? In fact, in some of those in some of those kindnesses, the commentaries struggle to find a reason, like when we thank God for bringing us to Sinai and say, Dayenu, it would have been enough of a kindness even if he hadn't given us the Torah, which is such a puzzling statement. But the Haggadah gives no explanation for that kindness of just possibly bringing us to Sinai, and that would have been enough. More than that, the temple was built because God said, Build me a home and I will dwell among you. The reason for the temple was for God's presence to dwell among us. The advantage of receiving atonement actually benefits mostly the sinners who needed atonement. And why the appellation base habachira, God built for us a, his chosen house, why not the common usage of Beis Hamikdash, as is used otherwise in the Haggadah? And more pointedly, what is the connection between the expression of God's kindness and our leaving Egypt? Again, what the night of the Seder is about. Up until the kindness of taking us into Israel, there is an association that's clear. Because as long as we were in the desert, until we arrived in Eretz Yisrael and settled in our land, it was like the redemption wasn't complete. In fact, God himself says, using four expressions of redemption, that he will take us out, out of Egypt, and he will save us, and he will redeem us, and he will take us to him as a nation. 
And these are followed with the words, Vehevesi eschem oretz, and I'll bring you to the land. But building the base Habchira is not connected to our redemption from Egyptian exile. Now we go to the answers. And this is how we can understand all of these questions and their answers. It's all about the approach we take in the message we give to the son to whom we are obligated, Vihigadatalavincha, to speak to in the telling of the Haggadah, in the reciting of the miracles that happened when we were redeemed from Egypt. Before we even begin to speak of these details, before he even knows the details, he definitely has some really important issues that are worrying him. And we need to address these issues even before we begin with the story of our exodus. One, clearly we are now in exile. Why didn't the exodus from Egypt last forever? It's not like some human warrior came and set us free. It was God. And God has to be truth. And everything God does and says is eternal. So what are we doing in another exile? A worse one than before. Also, if we left Egypt, Berchush Gadol, wealthy like God had promised, how are there poor people that he is clearly aware of? Even at the Seder that he is sitting at, he sees them, the needy and the hungry. And more than that, there are all types sitting at the Seder. Four types of sons are addressed in the Haggadah. Four different routes that they've taken in their lives. And one is a Russia. So if everyone knows that the wicked of Egypt didn't leave Egypt because they died in the three days of the plague of darkness, what, where does evil come from among our people? And you can't tell him, well, it's a different kind of Russia. Because in answering the Russia at the table... The son who is called a Russia, we say, if you were there, you wouldn't have been redeemed. These aren't intellectual issues for the son who wonders. They really get in the way of his ability to experience Exodus as though he himself is now being freed and feeling real freedom. These are fundamental. If Torah is true, this son needs answers because he can't experience freedom when he is most certainly in Golos and there are definitely poor people, really poor people, and also intellectually poor people who don't know God. And there's a Russia, an actual son who is a Russia at this freedom celebration. To take away his confusion and give him the opportunity for clarity, we preface everything with a paragraph of Halachma Anya. This is the bread of our affliction. Because it clarifies the general point in the story of our exodus from Egypt. That story begins with Avodim Hayinu. That paragraph which opens us up to the events. In this paragraph, when we talk about matzah though, we're talking about the matzah of Egypt to highlight the fact that our exodus is not complete that we are living yet in an exile, and that this exile lingers. 
This is why we say, whomever is hungry, come and eat. Whoever is in need, come do Pesach with us. The truth is that right here, right now, there are poor and hungry people. We acknowledge that because we have not fully left our enslavement and our exile. But if that's the case, this likely will bring another question up. And that is, so why the celebration of freedom? What did leaving Egypt achieve? To which we continue in the paragraph and express the intentional awareness that the redemption from Egypt, though it may not be complete, opened the flow of possibility of redemption towards the complete redemption. Now we are here, yes. But next year we will be in Israel. Yes, now we are slaves. But the coming year we can and will be free. And that's why we can, even in the worst situation and in the current situation, celebrate the story of our redemption from Egypt and even experience it like we ourselves now, really and completely leaving Egyptian slavery. In fact, experiencing this mitzvah in this way makes it possible to leave one's personal Egypt for freedom. Because once we leave Egypt, we're always on a journey to freedom. When we make this point at the outset of the Seder, as we begin Magid, it is then made clear, and clearer yet when we speak of the details of our exodus after the recitation of the Manishtana questions. We'll explain how. It's known that our sages speak of a choice God placed before Avraham. It would be the journey of Avraham's descendants to experience a time of cleansing and atonement. The choice of this was Gehenna, to have this journey after life in Gehenna or enslavement in this world in exile. And Avraham, or God, there are two different opinions in Medrash, chose exile. The sin for which atonement is required is the primordial sin of the tree of knowledge, which caused the divine presence to depart this earthly world and to ascend to a heavenly realm. Six further sins caused God's presence to depart yet again further and further into the seven heavens until it reached the seventh heaven. It was Avraham who began to return God's presence, bringing it from the seventh firmament to the sixth. Therefore, he was informed that the completion of the repair of, these sin, of these, this sin, bringing God's presence, or these sins, bringing God's presence back to earth as it was before the original sin, will occur through the Egyptian enslavement. Had we, as a nation been meritorious, the Egyptian exile would have been the only and last exile for our people, to be followed by none other, and it would have brought an end to death as well, again like before the primordial sin. But practically this did not happen, and the ultimate atonement was not achieved, 
which is why we needed God to take us out. Why only God could take us out, because we were not actually deserving of redemption, and it was God who strong-armed us out of there, standing up against the voice of judgment, which declared our lack of worthiness for redemption. So we therefore say it, We were so steeped in the impurity of Egypt, sunk into the depths of the 49th level of impurity, in fact. And another moment there, we would have been lost to redemption altogether. The Altareb explains it in Chassidus thus, Leaving Egypt was like fleeing, because the evil had a stronghold on the left side of us, the side that is attracted to impurity. God redeemed us by revealing his glory, thereby awakening the divine side of us out of the stupor that the impurity led us into, covering the truth and making it impossible to connect to God. So we were, when we were suddenly awakened and aware, we fled. That kind of awareness that comes from a divine revelation awakens even the simplest Jew to a state of divine connection, even to the point of self-sacrifice. And this is why we say of God, if God hadn't taken us out, we, our children and their children would still be enslaved. Because it's true, our spiritual status was so low that we could not have emerged from there without God and we would still be in that exile until we somehow reach the point of cleansing and atonement until the final redemption. The idea of beginning with gnus, with our national disgrace, furthers this. When we say in the beginning our fathers were idolaters, it's still about God taking us out of this situation because va'achshav, now, it's still God who draws us near to him and to divine service. So it's really not unusual that sitting at our Seder, in, within the mix of every type of Jew, there is a Russia. A Russia exists because our exile isn't over. And nations continue to seek our destruction, and it's God who saves us. And that's worth mentioning because we aren't done. Our work isn't completed. And as long as we aren't in a state of complete refinement, and the attribute of justice has a hold against us, there is that ongoing possibility that nations will rise up against us with a desire to decimate our people. And to the obvious question of how did we get to this lowly point in Egypt? How did we sink into the evil of Egyptian impurity to the extent that we could not get ourselves out? The compiler of the Haggadah responds with, the Egyptians dragged us into the depths of depravity. This was done with us, not to us. Rather, they caused for so steep a descent beyond that which we would be, which we would reach on our own, and beyond that which we could emerge to purify ourselves or to be redeemed on our own. Taking all this into consideration, we must ask, what was the point then of that exile if it didn't bring cleansing and repair? And why the great celebration around leaving Egypt if this is the case? And so then we come to the concluding words 
of the recounting of God's acts of kindnesses, of God's many kindnesses, in the words of the paragraph of Dayenu, and we say, Uvanu lonu es beis habechira, lechaper al kol Hashem built us the base habechira, his chosen place, for us to find atonement for our sins. The word bechira means choice. Well, real choice is where there are no extenuating circumstances that force a choice. Now, that level of choice exists only for God because nothing outside of God himself influences God's choice. From God's essential perspective, Esav is Yaakov's brother, and the two are equal. And then it's God's freedom to choose that motivates his choice of Yaakov, the Oyevus Yaakov. God loves Jacob, but disdains Esav. This is choice. In other words, choosing the Jewish people for God is in fact choosing essence because a Jew is one with the essence of God. Below, in our reality, Jacob and Esav appear equal, but in essence, Yaakov is beloved to God and God's choice. Bochar Hashem Yaakov, God chose Jacob. This is reflected in the experience of the Egyptian exile and redemption. Externally, the worldview is that we had that had we remained in exile for another moment, had we remained in Egypt in exile for another moment, we would not have been redeemed. And so God had to counter the attribute of justice with a mighty hand. But because they were not we were not worthy, and Jacob and Esau are brothers equal. These behaved this way, and so did these, Egyptian and Jews. Why judge them differently? But the truth is essentially different. God chooses the Jewish nation for they are one with him, and as quoted by our sages, to change them out for another people, is just not doable. Accordingly, what becomes clear is how the base habechira, the house of God's choosing, facilitates atonement for all our sins and not only affects forgiveness. In the world order that exists in the Seder Hishtalshlis, the evolutionary process of divine revelation into this world, where the oneness of the Jew and God cannot be observed, like the distinct difference of a son and a father, for example, where sin has a negative impact, there must be atonement to remove the debris of the sin. This occurs through exile and enslavement, but from God's perspective, from the strong hand of Israel and God, via God's choice of our people, we have the desire to fully atone for all our sins, to have no distance between ourselves and God. And as at this level, sin cannot have an actual impact, thus resulting in an actual revealed state of true refinement and soul cleansing. And yet, in this world where this reality is concealed, 
The process of our redemption our refi- and our refinement appears through the confines of a time dimension and appears as though we fled Egypt and were in need of God's mighty arm to take us out of Egypt. The truth of this, that this was of God's choice of us, revealed only in the building of the base Habakira, built to atone for all our sins. And the actual base Habakira reveals this in another way. There was atonement through Karbonis, and not atonement through suffering or slavery, thus revealing God's choice. This is actually the inner understanding of beginning with our nation's gnus disgrace and concluding with praise. At the outset of the Haggadah, it seems like our redemption was facilitated from above, as though below we were not worthy. But the concluding praise is about revealing the truth that we are God's choice. And in the base Habakira, which atones for all our sins, that's clearly observed. It's ultimately through the experience of telling the story of leaving Egypt with a feeling and in a manner of personal reflection that we merit Sheben Nisan Asidin Lehigael, a future redemption in Nisan, to be fulfilled in this Nisan, as Rabbi Yeshua teaches on the words, in Nisan we were redeemed and in Nisan we will be redeemed, that redemption will flow from a place beyond the reach of the Jews' capacity for repentance. This spiritual source brings a redemption that will be eternal, enduring even as it is initiated by and flows from on high, bringing to the fulfillment of L'Shana Haba'a, the Ardi Yisrael, next year in the land of Israel, and of L'Shana Haba'a B'nei Chayrin, Next year we will be free. As the previous Rebbe explains, this does not mean we must wait till next year, God forbid. Rather, this very Nisan, the redemption will manifest, and thereby we will be next year in Eretz Yisrael and free. When? A new eternal song will be sung to you, God, for redeeming us and for freeing our souls.